We are two women in academia. Raising questions and breaking down perceptions. From a Black point of view. Welcome to the Black Case Podcast. It's your girl, Dr. Porcher. And it's your girl, Dr. Bircher. <laughs> For some reason, Dr. Bertrand cannot get this intro together. Like, she be ready to talk, and I'm like, you gotta let the intro come in. How you doing today, Bri? Because it's a pause. It's I a- pause for the calls. And <laughs> you think you're Darius Daniels? I, I think I'm Darius Daniels today. Okay. That's our pastor. Okay. But, friend, today, I mean, we're laughing and everything, but I do, before we even announce the topic, I do want to tell people that there's a trigger warning for this mm-hmm. conversation because... Absolutely. I want um, people to know that we're going to be talking about a sensitive topic today. And so this might not be one of our podcasts for everybody. I agree with that. Or they do it when they feel so led. They can unpack it slowly. I do. So before we go into it, friend, can you tell the folks what we're talking about? And you don't have to do it in the way we always do it because this is a serious conversation. It is. And so today we are talking about, and our topic, well, we're talking about black maternal health, but our topic is for our black mamas. Mm. And so um, I do want to also say when we say mamas, it doesn't actually have to be people who have birthed a whole human being, okay? Mm. It could be people who are in the process or even thinking about it. So I don't want to eliminate people just because our topic is for our black mama. Or also if you're just serving in the role as a mom. Absolutely. Um, I think we have to think about that. Sometimes I I think about the many years that I served as an aunt, but I would definitely see myself as a mom in the ways in which I showed up for people. And I will also share, too, like if you know that you are having fertility challenges or you are just struggling around the topic of maternity, I would suggest that you really spend some time and think about whether or not you're ready for this topic. Yeah. Because we will be sharing a lot of traumatic experiences today, and you might not be in a space where you're ready. Um, I'm asking myself, am I ready? Um, but we're going to do it, and we're going to do it like we always do it. Um, so. We are. And I also I want to uh, just chime in and say that this week is Black Maternal Health week. Yes, it is. And I want to make sure that people understand that that's why we're covering this topic, but because we educate at Black Gays. And also one of the things that we do, we want to hold space for Black women, for Black mamas, for their families as we center this topic. And we also want to deepen conversations around Black maternal health because honestly this hasn't been a thing that I've heard of until like the last couple of years. And you know what's so interesting is that I know, you know, with the Biden administration, folks are always like, what they doing for black people. And so I also want to take a moment to talk about um, Vice President Kamala Harris. She has also been doing a lot of work and championing a lot of initiatives around black maternal health and mortality. So I know we're always looking for that one thing that's black. Mm-hmm. And she's doing this one thing that's black. So definitely check it out. So, friend, we have one of my faves oh and a doctor goodness. in a building today. Listen, we come to play. We can't talk about something that is this deep and not have an actual medical doctor here and I also want to share this with other people because you know we have a lot of conversations around like counseling and therapy like make sure you bring experts in that can actually add to the conversation so yes and we got somebody with an MD come on now come on now now I'm not coming for the PhDs and the EDDs (laughs) and the whatever other D's y'all got but an MD okay (laughs) 
honey. She done went to residency. Honey, listen. Don't play about my friend. Come okay. on now. So I'm so excited. Do you mind if I introduce some? I want you to introduce because only you could do it this I way. No. So let me tell y'all about her. Um, Dr. Watson was born and raised in New Haven, Connecticut. Her mother was a pharmacist and her father was a pediatrician. So listen, she been had gold in her legacy. Come okay. on. That just here rich, rich. Le- well, <laughs> Dr. Watson always knew that she wanted to be a doctor. She always wanted to take care of children and families. Dr. Watson went to the honey, the, Not the come on, the man. Spelman College for undergrad, which was the best decision of her young adult life. She went to Tufts University for medical school, mm. and also where her father went and received her MD and master's in public health. Wow! Not to be played with. Okay, okay. my friend is what genius. Okay, Dr. Watson then completed pediatric residency in pediatric cardiology fellowship at Duke University and she is now an outpatient pediatric cardiologist come on with an interest in fetal imaging and improving healthcare systems but that ain't it y'all oh there's more We got more. Okay. I wouldn't expect less. Dr. Watson leads diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts within her heart center, focusing on the effects of implicit bias on healthcare delivery, striving to improve patient safety. But I want to say one thing before we get started, before I bring Mac out, because she's just that amazing. So I met uh, Mac when I was a freshman at Spelman, mm-hmm. a fresh woman at Spelman. Let me okay, get it right. fresh woman. Y'all got and your own Mac, language. Yeah, oh, yes, we do, honey. Mm. So Mac actually lived right next door to me. Um, and from the moment I met Mac, she was like, I'm going to be a doctor, like straight out. Like There it was, was no questions no about questions. what she was going to be. Not at all. I and, love it. And listen, our group, we call ourselves the BIBs. We're not going to tell y'all what it means because that's our business. Okay. So what, why are you opening the business on the okay. show if you don't want to tell so people what it listen, means? Mac you could have held that. our resident doctor in our uh, chats, honey. We will be like, Mac, this is going on. Let me screenshot this. What these folks talking about? <laughs> Do we it. supposed to take this medication, Mac? Is we what's, what's going on with this I COVID vaccine? So, I mean, I'm always telling people, like, I got a friend. I'm a doctor, but I got a friend that's a medical doctor. Who you talking to? Okay. Mm. Um, So, it is my absolute honor, like, seriously, to have Mac here. And I think it's only right because I would not have gotten through this process of having my son without Mac. And so, if you all would do me a favor and Marvin, like, turn it up with some bullhorns for my sweet friend, Dr. McAllister Watson. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This is so exciting. Oh my goodness, I am so excited to finally meet you. Now, she ain't tell me, you know, you can tell me what your symptoms are and I'll send them to my friend Max. She, <laughs> now you, you think she only want to live long. She don't want me to live long. But listen, let me say this thing about Mac, though. Like, she enjoys the work. Like, I love she that. will break it down for you in a way that we'd be like, okay, Mac, but can you break it down a little bit further? Because we understand those words. And it is like, it's a privilege also to have access to a medical doctor who could answer questions for us. And so, Mac, we are so excited to have you yeah. here. I'm going to try my best not to cry all my makeup you off can do because what you, gotta you do. know what we've been through on this uh, journey with uh, bringing Cairo Earthside. So, Mac, on the Black Gays podcast, we always start off honoring our OGs and because we recognize that no one gets to where they're going by themselves, right? There was someone who influenced us to get here. So, Matt, can you tell us who influenced you to become a doctor, a medical doctor, to be exact, honey? 
So I, there's lots of people, but of course, 100%, my dad is the, the OG Dr. Wa- Dr. Wyndham. <laughs> I, I did not change my name. I earned too many degrees and did too much work with the last name Wyndham to change my name after I got married. So I'm still Dr. Wyndham. Okay. Legally. I'm sorry, Dr. Wyndham. But, okay. But I'm, I'm happy. I'm more than happy. It's like not a feminist thing. It's more of a laziness thing. I'm not trying to be capable of But my father is a first-generation physician, first-generation to graduate from college. His father wanted to be a doctor, but the only options that he had was to work in a steel mill. And so he made it his prerogative, my grandfather, to make sure that my father had access and the ability to go to medical school. Mm. My father navigated that process, you know, as an awkward black man. My dad is awkward, (laughs) but he navigated it. He (laughs) went to undergrad in Cleveland, went to uh, Tufts for medical school, um, went straight through, went mm. to resi- did residency in Washington, D.C., um, and then became a community pediatrician at the Hill Health Center in New Haven, Connecticut. Mm. He worked there from the moment he graduated until the moment he retired. Wow. He was taking care of people's great grandbabies when he wow. retired. Wow. When I go to the grocery store right now in New Haven, Connecticut, people are saying, are you Dr. Wyndham's daughter? <laughs> he took care of my mama, my oh, grandmama. Wow. Wow. <laughs> And that community building is what is what I fell in love with. Mm. The fact that he was the resource in the community as a black man to be able to communicate health advocacy, health literacy to people that look like us. Mm. Yeah. And make people feel safe in the most challenging of times. Mm. And so the real OG. Dr. Wyndham is absolutely the man that made it happen. Mm. And Mac, I remember when you said when you first became a doctor and people came in like, I'm looking for Dr. Wyndham. And you were like, hold on, my dad? No, that's me. (laughs) So I think it's so amazing that you're like carrying on your father's legacy. But I think even for me, it makes me think about my family's doctor. His name is Dr. Lamb. And he has delivered all the babies in my family. Another black man, too. But he's the only one. And if you talk to anybody in Cincinnati they're like oh Dr. Lamb delivers my baby and I'm like that makes sense because when you think about your dad and how people felt connected to him mm-hmm, the community that they will continue to come back like uh uh-uh, uh you going to Dr. Wyndham like that yeah. shows the power that he has in New Haven Connecticut and shout out to both of the Dr. Wyndham absolutely <laughs> well Thank y'all you. I, I want to continue this black gaze framework that we have going on and so I want to move us into um, a personal testimony and this is different because we do have an expert we have Dr. Wyndham here but also we have Dr. P who actually has a story to tell and so Dr. P you ready? I'm gonna have to get ready. <laughs> if you ain't ready you gotta get ready cause we on a timer. So Dr. Dr. P honestly when we talk about black maternal health tell us about your journey. So to be honest I never really saw myself as a mom I waited long to even think about getting pregnant and Mac will tell you like in our group chat everybody be like Keisha will you have a baby I'd be like what are we talking about can we change the uh, subject and a lot of it stems from just growing up without both of my parents mm-hmm. I just didn't feel like I would be a good parent mm. I didn't see myself that way and so it took a lot of a lot of therapy for me to even get to a space where I could even see myself as a mom and so I, I know the day that I got pregnant I remember it like yesterday March 4th um 2021. I know the day because I remember the day everybody was saying March forward. 
And um, I traveled not too long after that, Mm -hmm. after I found out that I was pregnant. And so I came back from the trip and I was bleeding. Mm. And initially, and it's so crazy because I was on the phone with my mother and I used the bathroom and looked in the toilet and saw a bunch of blood. Wow. And my mother was like, you need to go to the hospital right now. Um, You might be having a miscarriage. And so I was like freaked out because again remember it took me so long to even get to a space where I felt Mm -hmm. comfortable to say that I was going to have a kid so I go to the emergency room and they were like well yeah you could be miscarrying so we will just do an ultrasound on you and if we hear a heartbeat um you know that might be good news for you but the way in which you're bleeding it just could be the process of a miscarriage so um I went to the hospital And this isn't the hospital that I had um, my son at. I went to the hospital, and I don't know, and Mac, you can chime in if this is, like, protocol, but the woman who was doing my sonogram, um, she wouldn't say anything to me. Like, she wouldn't answer any questions that I had. And so that also increased my anxiety. I don't know if it's, like, a nurse, kind of, like, sonographer type. They're not supposed to report on details. So she's rolling me out of the room and I just burst into tears and she was like what's wrong and I was just like this is so overwhelming she was like no it's okay I I heard a heartbeat Mm. and I was like oh but I I continued to bleed for three months after that and so uh the doctors call uh well the name of the condition that I had was a subchorionic hemorrhage and I don't know Mac if you want to tell people what that is I don't have the language for what happens when that happens Yeah, so sometimes you can develop um, a a small hemorrhage and then a hematoma Mm -hmm. um, in between like the uterine lining and your cervix. Mm -hmm. So separated from where, you know, the baby is developing, but right above your cervix. So you are bleeding, um, but the baby is safe. And I just, you know, personal, I'm... 14 weeks pregnant today. Congratulations. And had a very similar, thank you, thank you. <laughs> had a very similar experience. Um, and there is nothing more terrifying and a reminder every time you use the bathroom and every time you're existing in your day to day that like, am I bleeding? Am I miscarrying? What's going on? So mm. um, it, it's something that when I used to read it in textbooks or as a cardiologist, see it as, oh, your first trimester, you had some bleeding. I used to just, you know, take it laissez-faire. You have the baby, like the baby's growing. Everything is fine. Now I understand the trauma behind those mm, words. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and go, keep going with your story. <laughs> but that's that's what it is. And just it is such an experience. Yes. Can I ask you, Dr. Wyndham, is this something that a woman causes or is this just natural? Like, this is just how life is. There's nothing that I could have done to cause this. Like, like so many things with childbirth. Yeah, this is just something that happens. Okay. Um, sometimes there can be trauma. Um, I'm going to talk about, like, did you have recent intercourse or um, get an accident or something like that? But it, it just happens. Got it. Got it. Um, so after that, I was on, and thanks, Mac, for, because you explained it much better than the way 
like they explained it to me. But they put me on bed rest after that because my bleeding was very heavy. Um, it wasn't like spotting. It was very heavy. And so they just suggested that I kind of rest. And a lot of people at the time, I think you knew. I don't think I had even told you all yet, Mac. Um, I was teaching my class from my bed. Mm-hmm. Like literally because when I would move, it would be so much blood. Like if I would walk around or like ex- exert too much effort, I would have more blood than when I was actually resting. Mm-hmm. And so at the time, the doctor was just like, listen, you got to wait until after your 12 weeks. We will examine you again and see if the baby is still there. But I can't promise you that. And in my mind, being on bed rest, right, you're resting because Absolutely. you you, you want to stay healthy. But then not knowing if, you know, what's going to be the outcome of this, you know, particular pregnancy. So I had, I won't go into details about that specific experience, but I went to, at that time, I was considering a birthing center. And I went to the birthing center, and this just goes to show you how important it is to have a black medical doctor. There were so many women there that literally your wait time would be over six hours because that so is crazy. many black women want to have a black medical doctor, want to have a black OBGYN, want to have yeah. a black person who delivers their baby. But at that time in my life, when I was bleeding and going through so much, I just couldn't, I didn't have that level of patience. Mm-hmm. And so after they kept giving me the runaround and kept just saying, like, there's really nothing we can do for you but wait, I went and did my own research and I found my current doctor. Um, and when I went to him, he also has a nurse practitioner. Shout out to the black nurse practitioners. Yeah. So I went to her first and I was really nervous. Um, there was a lot of trauma going on in my personal life. Like my husband had lost both of his best friends, one due to COVID from traveling. So there was just a lot of anxiety and I just wasn't at peace throughout those first three months at all. So I went to the doctor after that and... Um, Dr. Straker found like, nope, we got a heartbeat. The baby is still there. And so that was the first time that I actually like took a breath to know. I think at that time I then told, you know, more people because he he really encouraged me to wait until that time. And so I had a good three months, I would say, of my pregnancy. And literally at six months, I had my son at six months on the date, literally. So I had him at 29 weeks. And the reason why I had him at 29 weeks is because I developed a um, condition called preeclampsia with help syndrome. Mm. And so I want to, Mac, feel free to jump in. I did write some things down. Can you tell us what that is? I will. And the interesting thing is I had my son at 34. And so when I made it to Dr. Straker, my doctor at the time, he literally told me off the bat, like, you know, you're higher in age. So this is a high risk pregnancy. So he literally put me in touch with with other high-risk doctors that would be monitoring my pregnancy throughout the time. Mm -hmm. And he talked to me about preeclampsia as soon as we heard, like, okay, the baby's going to be fine. But in your mind, I've that's never... That's not going to happen to me because I done been through all of this. I done been through all... But also, I've never had any medical challenges growing up. Like, I've never had had blood pressure. I've never had... Mm. I've never even had a major surgery as a kid. Like, I've never broken a bone, anything. I work out. I eat pretty well. I do eat hood food like Flamin' Hots. But, uh... For the most 
where I do what I'm supposed to do, mm-hmm. you know? So I didn't really think that that would be a, a condition that I would develop. So they had told me to start taking, like, a small aspirin each time. But in my mind, I was just like, why? For what? I'm good. You know, we made it this far. So I do want, I did pull some research from um, pre, the Preeclampsia Foundation, and they said thousands of women and babies get very sick each year from a dangerous condition called preeclampsia, a life-threatening hypertensive order that occurs only during pregnancy in the postpartum period. Mm-hmm. Preeclampsia and related disorders such as gestational hypertension, help syndrome is the one that I had, and eclampsia are most often characterized by a rapid rise in blood pressure that can lead to seizure, stroke, multiple organ failure, and even death of the mother and or baby. Did I miss anything, Mac? No, that sounds that sounds perfect. And okay. I think the biggest thing to take from this is that I, I think we, we all kind of go into life and adulthood as um, pregnancy and a healthy baby is something that we are, you know, in 2022, 21st century is something that we will have. Mm. And I just think that the most important part of this conversation is that pregnancy and bringing babies into the world is dangerous and hard and changes at the drop of a dime. Mm. That's good. You can feel fine and then be in danger and your baby be in danger in the blink of an eye. Um, And I just want to stress that over and over and over again, because we all think that we'll be fine. I thought I was going to be fine with my first baby. I worked a uh, call shift over the weekend, was staying up all night, going to work during the day, and then walked into my OB office on the on Tuesday at 37 weeks, and they said, your blood pressure is 180 over 110. Mm. You're spilling protein in your urine. You have preeclampsia, and it mm. was, you're having wow. the baby today. Mm. Um, and, it's, and I had, a, in my first pregnancy, I had a, a, a you know, normal pregnancy to that point. Um, and it it hit and it was real. Mm. You know, that that leads me into because I'm hearing uh, Dr. P's testimony and I'm hearing the information that you're sharing. And and Dr. P, let me just thank you for sharing your testimony, because I know there was a time in life where you could listen. That- hold on. Before you even go to that, to to our first question, I do want to say this, that blood pressure part. My blood pressure was 190. Mm. Over 110. And I remember calling McAllister. I told Mac, I texted her. I said, Mac, I have a really bad headache and I'm getting dizzy. Like, is that normal? My body is swelling. Like, I was out at that time, I was 26 weeks. I was like, my body's swelling. My hands are like sweat. Like, when I walk, it feels like my feet are going to explode. McAllister called me immediately and she was like, Keisha, you need to go to the doctor. Like, she called me immediately. She was like, you need to be checking your blood pressure often and she was like she was like order a blood pressure cuff order um the uh the socks the what they call mac uh compression socks compression socks like so she told me that on that day the next day when i went to the doctor they checked my blood pressure i was admitted to the hospital within two days two days later Mm. so like she said it happens at the drop of a dime and i want to take a moment to because i know we hear a lot of horror stories about doctors not listening to Mm -hmm. black women but shout out to dr straker a black man who looked at me and said you are staying in this hospital until this baby comes and i was just like what boy, I ain't got no clothes. I'm not prepared. Like, I got to work. The semester about to start. He was like, I don't care about none of that. Mm -hmm. And he explained it to me in this way. He said, 
right now he's like your baby is fine but your health is failing he was like and you staying alive is the most important he was mm-hmm. like so i want you to look at it like this you're about to go down a waterfall and right before you drop i'm gonna snatch you to make sure that you live and i didn't understand it i was on blood pressure two blood pressure medicine medications they were taking my blood pressure at three points in the day that's how high my blood pressure was. It took a week to even get my blood pressure to something that was like 160-something. Mm-hmm. And so I could see Cairo on the monitor just jumping up and down and flipping Having up and around. Time. And he was like, I need you to understand. Because for to be completely transparent, I felt like this was something that I did wrong. Like, this is something that I did wrong during my pregnancy. First, I started off with this bleeding. Now I have preeclampsia because, to be honest, my doctor was like, they don't really see preeclampsia until in 30 weeks. I was 26 weeks, and I had developed HELP syndrome. So not only did I have blood, I had high blood pressure. I had um, low blood blood platelets my hemoglobin was low like everything so when it says that it attacks your organs it's real like every every single day that they came in they were telling me something that was was happening to me because of this um preeclampsia that i had developed so wow well well dang Let me go back and just say, I thank you for your testimony and I thank you for sharing that information because I know that that information is um, helping somebody in some way. Dr. Um, Wyndham, I want to ask you, because of the conversation that we're holding, can you tell folks what exactly is black maternal health and why is it important? Why is it important to know this stuff? So what I think is the most important thing is to step back and take a look at the fact that we have from the beginning of this country systems that were not created to take care of us. Absolutely. Mm. Systems that were purposefully created to exclude us. Mm. That's good. And throughout history, we've had to create our own systems in order to keep each other safe. Mm. Um, in order to take care of babies. And so, you know, we there's that community aspect. There's the grandma, there's the doula, there's the person that has birthed all the babies, that knows all the history, mm-hmm. that knows everyone's family story. And that's kind of how we were sustained. Mm-hmm. Um, although with a lot of moms dying and a lot of babies dying. So once again, like people have lots of conversations about childbirth mm-hmm. and act like you are entitled to a healthy mom and a healthy child mm. at the end of pregnancy. And nothing about that is entitled. Mm. Women and babies have been dying since the beginning of time mm. trying to give birth. Mm. And that's so true. So the, it is so important to, to acknowledge that, that we are on a journey that in a system that was not made for us, that now in the 21st century, so far along in the game, we are tra- finally asking questions of how do we create a system that actually focuses on how to get black women through this journey, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how to get black babies through this journey, how to get black families through this journey, not how do we adapt a current system that is not meant for black and brown folk that was made to exclude black and brown folk. How do we fit them in? Mm-hmm. So it- it's kind of a change in mindset and in development. But when I think about black maternal health, that's the core of what I think about is that we are making a new system and we Mm. have to be very conscious about that fact. Mm. Um, And the fact that there are so many systems in place that are made to make us fail. Mm. So like he was saying, like Dr. Porter was saying, Dr. P was saying, (laughs) 
how, all these long wait times for a black physician. Yeah. Mm. Long wait times to try and get into a clinic where you know, oh, my friend had a good experience there, mm-hmm. so that's where I want to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and not everyone can get into those places. So you have um, a lot of clinics that you know, with the best intent. Well, I'm Pollyanna, so I will always have like glass half full type of perspective. <laughs> I, I like but, that though. But I am realistic, so like I would say, like you know, with the best of intentions. Uh, you hope yes. But clinics and and community health centers and places set up geared towards Black women, especially lower socioeconomic women. But this spans the gamut because Black women with a college degree still have higher maternal mortality Mm. than white women without a high school degree. Mm. So this is not all about class. This is not all about money. This is not all about education. This is about systems that were not made for us. Mm. Um, So these systems are broken. There are so many barriers to get access to healthcare. So when I think about Black maternal health, I think about how well do we know our own health mm-hmm. and have we been given the tools to be in the best state prior to giving birth. Mm. And so Dr. P mentioned a lot of things in her story about what you mean you're going to admit me right now? <laughs> I got things to do. Mm-hmm. What do you mean I'm on bed rest? I'm teaching class from my bed. Not everyone has that luxury of being mm. able to teach class from their That's bed. A privilege. That's a privilege. You know? Mm. You know, a lot of people, you know, you're bleeding and you're working your nine to five. You're trying to figure out daycare for other kids. You're trying to do all of these things and your health hits the back burner. Mm. Um, all of these, so we call it the social determinants of health. So all the things that are outside of individual decision-making that affect every decision that you make. Mm. And Mac, you know what is, is coming up for me? Remember, the, like I had a lot of conversations with Mac because I had to do a lot of work around blaming myself and like, why didn't I have, why couldn't I carry my baby to term? You know, why couldn't I have the experience that I thought? And Mac said something to me that really, like it sticks with me. She's like, Keisha, you think that just because you decided to have a baby, all of the stuff that you've been through in your life just exited your body? Mm. Like mm-hmm. that showed we hold up trauma with you. and things in our bodies. She yeah. was like, that showed up during this pregnancy. And even though you were doing all of these healthy things up until this time, it doesn't take away all the trauma that has happened in yeah. between that time. And she was like, it's not to blame you, but it's a reality of your experience of, mm-hmm. you know, bringing birth and all the things you've had to go through just to be to stay alive. Those things are still in your body. And so I think about fighting to find a good doctor, you know, like that's more stress on yourself when you're. When you're pregnant, you're like, I just want to have a good experience. I'm just trying to have a healthy baby. Mm-hmm. But you're fighting to find a doctor that you mm-hmm. feel like will listen to you, right? And so I, I, I really felt that when you said that, Mac. Like, there are so many things that we're dealing with, and we don't have— I could teach my class, but the the mere fact that I couldn't even stop and say, Keisha, you need to rest— like, you need to find a way to not be at work right now because you are trying to bring a life. In my mind, it never even clicked to say, you know what, ask for a leave of absence until you can get yourself together. And there was a part of me that was also embarrassed that I was bleeding, right? Like, what's wrong with me? Why mm-hmm. can't I, you know, why can't I just have a healthy pregnancy? So I'll let you continue, Frank. Dr. Dr. Wyndham, what are some of the common adverse experiences that black women experience during their maternal journey? Like you touched on a few, but what are what are some common things that they can be, you know, that they may experience? I would say the first thing is access to care. 
Mm -hmm. um, and access to competent care and access to care that cares about you. Mm. Um, so that is, that I is love that care that cares a, about you. Mm. And it's a mental challenge because, you know, you go in with all of the guilt, stress, acknowledging realities, but then you're in a system where then you have to give up all of your autonomy to someone else making decisions. Mm. And I, one of the reasons I became a doctor is because I wanted to know all the words. I wanted to know what everything meant. I wanted to be able to do my own research when it came to things about my body, things mm. about my friends' bodies. Mm. Like I wanted to be able to know what was going on. Um, but not everyone has that experience. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't expect everyone to be doctors. I don't expect everyone to go to medical school. Um, but th that is that is the first challenge. And I think that it's a, it's a very big mental challenge because you are automatically for for women that strive so hard to have positions of power and ownership and autonomy in our lives you go into a doctor's office and you lose it mm. you are you are hearing and living the stories of your friends and their yeah. bad experiences mm. you are living and hearing the stories that we hear on the news every day of bad experiences and what I would really just strongly want to say, and as a physician, I walk into every encounter with patients as I'm coming in from a place of debt. Like I, I have to earn this person's trust mm -hmm. and then we can move forward. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that there are a lot of medical professionals that miss that part mm. because they think, well, this is my interaction with this person, but no, this is healthcare's interaction with that person. Ooh. And that person has had a lifetime and a lifetime of observing others experiences with healthcare. Mm. Um, I love that, that you come in with the mindset of debt. Like I need to earn this trust from someone. And I, I honestly don't think that so many doctors think like that. It seems like there's this power and privilege. Like I'm here, I'm holding knowledge. And then the rest of y'all just fall in line. Cause you wouldn't, you know, know what's going on unless I'm here. Mm. Exactly. Exactly. And then, and the communication and some of the, the, the stories that I hear is a lot of that gap not being met before the, the conversation has happened. So sensitive subjects, we talk about weight. Mm. You know, a lot, a lot of black women come into pregnancy and childbearing age, you know, above the standard BMI. And yeah. so I a hundred percent acknowledge BMI is, you know, a rate, it was, you know, white, no, exactly like so i don't i don't talk about but you have to acknowledge that if you are a higher weight that th maybe that there were choices in your life including choices and this is what i say to my patients i'm talking to myself as i'm talking to you mm. did we go through the mcdonald's drive-thru this morning because it was fast and easy it was fast and, and it easy. feels you <laughs> and it fills you and you check the checkbox of I have food in my belly. Mm -hmm. Like, did you get to the gym? Oh, no, I did not because I'm trying to raise a kid and I'm trying to navigate all the I don't have a nanny. I don't have extra child care. I'm mm -hmm. doing all these things. Did So acknowledging that maybe I'm not coming into this at the best physical state that I could be in. Mm -hmm. Yes, there are lots of lifestyle factors. Like, yes, there are lots of outside factors that affect that. But having conversations about weight and health and the, uh, the appropriate amount of weight gain during pregnancy is not to tell you that you are not beautiful, is not to tell you that you are not a force, is mm -hmm. not to tell you that you are not a strong woman that is capable and will have a healthy pregnancy, but it's the reality of the fact 
that if you have more weight going in, that it's possible that your blood pressure may be affected because of that, Mm. that it's possible that your body's ability to handle your blood sugar may be different because of that. Mm. And the doctors and the medical professionals have to take all of that into account in order to take care of you. Mm. Do I think that sometimes medical professionals jump the gun and don't explain why the questions that they're asking are important? Absolutely. Mm. Does that skipping that conversation make people feel it inhuman, not worthy? Um, I'm not respected. Absolutely. And so like, then you already have this confrontational um, relationship when, when really we're having a conversation about, okay, I'm taking you as you are. And I want to let you know the aspects of your individualized care that may be different because of what you're bringing to the table. Mm. And that's not to judge you. And that's not to judge anyone, right? Like if you have sickle cell, I have to think about that mm-hmm. when you're pregnant. But I, if I you just, have, oh, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. No, because saying, you like, said something and I'm, I'm thinking like I had my first child at 23. So I was a young mom. And so I'm thinking about, I took the mindset of when I got pregnant, I'm eating for two. So I can get two Big Macs and a fry and a Coke. Like, I'm like there was no time Yeah, they say you eat for two. So I took it literally. Honey, I was at the buffet on my lunch break. So, like, and I'm not lying, no cap. And so I'm, I'm listening to you, and I'm like, there. I feel like um, physicians miss that, when especially when they're talking to black folks, because we like seasoning. We like to have you know fried food there's certain things and i'm not trying to generalize black people but we we make good so we are food. listen we are not a monolith we are not so that's why I, I put that in there but a lot of us do like these things that are high in cholesterol so when you're talking i'm listening and i'm like dang i wish i had someone that to broke even it down. broke to break it down in the way that you're even breaking it down right now listen and i'm going to give you a, a perfect example i remember so i had started talking to mac in our group about what i wanted my birth birthing experience to be like initially right and um mac said to me straight up like you want to be alive and you want to bring your baby here in the best way that they could possibly Mm -hmm. come here and so the one thing that um i was really nervous about was having a cesarean birth right and once i got really sick that was the understanding and so i called mac and i was like mac they always say that you know these hospitals are have to do cesarean births on black people and they don't give us a chance to have our baby she said first of all keisha you are in a tri- you are in a very different space right now and we got to get this baby here healthy she was like the second thing that she taught me that really blew my mind she said first of all People don't know this, but hospitals get grades. And one of the grades that drop you is based on how many cesareans you have at the hospital. Mm. So it doesn't look good on the hospital to just be giving everybody a C-section. That's true. She was like, Because I so, asked for one. They said no. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. So, I mean, I had a very interesting experience because my platelets were so low, they actually had to put me to sleep because the guy was like, if I um, shoot you in your back right now, I could kill you. Mm. He was like, you have to be sleep. Like, and so I didn't have nothing close to the birthing experience that I thought that I would have, but my doctor, Dr. Straker, just kept saying, my goal is to keep you alive. And that's all. And this is what I have to do to keep you alive. But Mac even taking the time to sit and say, Keisha, the decisions that they're making, they're not just making it because they're trying to 
you know, they they don't want you to have a good time, right? He, she was like, you can tell that they really care about you. Look at all of the things that they've done up until this point. They're doing this so that they can keep you alive. But Mac broke it down for me that in that way. That was important. Yeah. Dr. Wyndham, tell us now, because I, I want a doctor like you. I need to move over there to the <laughs> RDU so I can be over there. But let me ask you, how do black women and their partners advocate for the kind of care that you're giving? Because oftentimes, a woman, a black woman, we don't feel heard when we go to these OBGYNs. We don't feel seen. Um, there's just a lot of things that we experience within those spaces where we don't get proper care. So how do we begin this way of advocating for ourselves? Even our husbands or spouses or partners, whatever you have, how do we do that? So absolutely, I mean, absolutely. That is a, it's a, it's a challenge. It is 100% a challenge. Absolutely. But what I, I will start with is that you should never go to the doctor by yourself. I mean, mm. I think like routine ultrasounds or routine things where you're just going to check checky boxes. I think it's fine. But if you're going and you know that you're, it's your first OB visit or you're having, or so in my specialty, I do fetal echocardiogram. So what is, what that, is that? that? What coming, is that? <laughs> so exactly. So moms that are coming to see me, there's an indication or a reason for us to be looking specifically at the baby's heart. So, you know, you oh. have the anatomy scan where someone is looking at all the aspects of the baby for an hour. If you need a fetal echocardiogram, we are looking at the heart for an hour. We are looking to make sure that everything is connected as it should, making sure everything, um, that there's no holes where they shouldn't be, that vessels are working, valves and vessels are working as they should. And nothing, I mean, the biggest thing is like spending an hour looking at the heart is that the heart starts off as a tube. When you are, you know, the cells are coming together and it bends and twists and turns and separates and that's I love form. how this excites you. <laughs> you can see it, can't you? I, like, I, I love, love it so much. You light up. <laughs> I love it so, so much. Um, um, but that it's, but once again, like, just don't take it for granted. The fact that your baby's heart is normal. Do not mm. take it for granted. Um, mm. But so going to those appointments, have somebody with you. I remember having an 18 year old come to my clinic. Mm. And he said, oh, my mom's in the car. But she said, I have to learn how to do this by myself. Please, y'all. Mm. No one should be doing this by themselves. Mm -hmm. mm. No one should be going into a healthcare setting by themselves. Because That's when good. you are receiving bad news, what happens? You shut down. You flee. Mm. Fight or flight. Your brain leaves. You're, you're, you might be crying. You might be getting angry. Your gut you instincts it. kick in your ability to protect yourself and whatever however that comes into the world that is what is there you are no longer listening mm. you no longer hear so you need someone else to be there to listen and to hear what the medical providers are saying because it may even be oh they said your blood pressure was good today but we need to be watching it closely mm. and someone else no no your blood pressure was high today so we need to be looking at the salt in your diet mm. and you you need to have multiple people at appointments to hear what medical providers are saying. Mm. I like that. The other thing is to always ask why. Mm. Okay, if someone is starting you on a medication and like granted pediatrics, we're big about what we call anticipatory guidance. So when you take your baby home, you're getting all this information about safe sleep, about mm. the car seat, about medicines you can give and not give. When you're in adult medicine and I struggle with this. A lot of it is like, okay, check, check, check this problem. Go take this medicine, get it from this, get it from this pharmacy. Mm -hmm. You don't know why you're taking it. 
You don't know how it works, mm-hmm. when, when you can take it. And granted, I'm generalizing. There's plenty of adult physicians that do much better work. Mm-hmm. But I, you have to have someone there with you because you have to ask, we have to have someone that's prepared to ask why and why are you making the decisions that you are making? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. The other thing that I think is really important is to say what you think you're hearing from the medical provider back to them in your mm. own language. So what I'm hearing from, cause this is what we learn as physicians. So when I hear a history, I like to tell families. So what I'm hearing from your history is that this is your story. This is what has happened because all healthcare is, is putting together a story and finding what the most likely answer is. Mm or putting together the story and finding what tests we need to do to figure out what the answer of what your problem is. Mm. So the, the medical provider should be repeating back to you. This is what I heard you say. Is that correct? Mm. Giving someone the ability to say, oh, no, 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 no. I, I'm like eating good. I'm exercising. So like, I don't think that that's the issue. Can we think about other issues? Mm. Um, and then as the patient, when the physician says something to you, clarifying what I hear from you, doc or nurse practitioner or whoever it is, is X, Y, or Z. And so I'm going to leave this office and do what I think that you're telling me to do. Is that correct? Mm. There has to be two-way conversation. And the other aspect that I think is really important is that it has to be a therapeutic relationship. Mm. That's important. You need to have a relationship with your physician or medical provider where they trust you and you trust them. Mm -hmm. And if you, if there's anything that faults or causes a problem with that, then you need to go somewhere else. Mm. And I even say this for my patients that I see. And if there's something just in our personalities that maybe they don't, they don't vibe with my vibe. I am more than happy to say, I have so many colleagues that do not practice medicine the way that I do. Mm. And I am happy to have you see them. No, I I don't take any offense. We just don't have a therapeutic relationship. Mm. And that's important. Absolutely. So take it at home. Like just to summarize, you got to have someone with you when you're going to the doctor. If it's a a, a doctor's visit that you're expecting something to change Mm. or you're getting new information, you Mm. have to have someone with you. Do not be in the emergency department at three o'clock in the morning by yourself. Mm. You don't make no sense. (laughs) Friends, build communities. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be your spouse. It doesn't, you have to build communities of people Mm. that you have a friend or someone or Keish can text me and I'm on the phone and I'm listening to the doctors and the nurses and what they're saying. Mm. Like you have to have that community. Secondly, the doctor should be repeating back or, or at least you should feel like they know the story that you came in to tell. Mm. And you should also repeat back the story that you think that they, their plan is for you. And you should be able to say it in your own words because nothing about this is difficult. Everything should be able to broken, be broken down in a way that a lay person, someone who has no idea what medications or medical terms are can understand because this is not hard. It's mm. not, it's a lot of information, but it's not hard. And um, I- Go ahead, go ahead. I wanted to share something that happened like on this journey just to give you all an example of of how it can work. So when I came out of recovery after um, the cesarean, I knew that my platelets were low, which is why they decided that I would have the baby. So I went in with about 60,000 platelets. And Mac, how many platelets are we supposed to have in our body? So 150, 150,000. 150,000. So I had about 
<laughs> wow. So I had about 60000 which is why they decided that I would have Cairo. But after we, after Cairo was here, my platelets dropped down to 30,000 platelets. Mm-hmm. And so they had me, like, I could hear, but I was still kind of out of it. But I noticed that I wasn't moving. Like, I was still in recovery. Mm-hmm. And I could hear one of the nurses saying, she's not doing well. She's not doing well. And so um, I literally remember to this day, and this is something that I'm still working through. Like, I remember, like, coming out of it for just a second. And I held Maurice's hand and I said, please don't let me die. Because I could hear people talking about, Mm -hmm. you know, me not doing well. And when they finally got me back to a room, the first thing I said was, call McAllister. Like, I need you to have her share what's happening to me. Mm -hmm. So by the time the doctor came back um, and... I was I'm, I had my baby at a teaching hospital, so actually it was a resident. And um, I remember her getting down on her knees, and she had tears in her eyes too. And she was like, um, "You now have seventeen thousand platelets in your body." And um, she was like, "I am like so like she was crying. She was like, I'm so overwhelmed. She was like, we're probably gonna have to send you to the ICU." And I I couldn't say anything because it was, again, like McAllister said, it's a lot of information. It's a lot of information coming. And so I just had enough strength to call, like, tell Mo to call McAllister. So Matt got on the phone with me, and she said, Keisha, take a breath. She said, I want to explain to you what's happening in your body. She said, they just put a huge incision across your stomach. And Mac, let, tell, you know, let me know if I'm not explaining it right. She said, so the platelets in your body are working really hard to heal that incision, mm-hmm. which is why they are dropping so fast. She was like, now, in the morning, if you don't have 17,001 platelets, then we got a problem. She said, but I expect, I anticipate that your platelets would drop so much because you just went through a major surgery mm-hmm. and you were just, you were already losing them. And so mm-hmm. your body is trying to heal itself, which is why it's taking so many. Mm-hmm. But at that point, I don't know. I don't even think I knew what a platelet did, you know, but McAllister broke it down for me. And I was still under, like my blood pressure was really high. So I was on a lot of medication that was causing me to like black out. And so whenever I could have a moment and I can only imagine what Mo was going through watching me go mm-hmm. through this. But Mac was like, Keisha, your body is doing what it's supposed to do. And she was like, and even if it doesn't, you're in the right place. You know, so That's good. she broke it down for me in that moment. But of course, the people around me were also terrified because they're watching my health decline rapidly. Mm-hmm. You know, because sometimes they say with preeclampsia, when they remove the baby, you know, your health starts to increase. Like, okay, I mean, get you- better. Like your blood pressure starts to drop. Mine elevated even more. So, you know, it was good to have McAllister to break that down because at that moment I was terrified of dying. Like, seriously. So I don't know if you want to say anything, Mac, if I didn't <laughs> explain it right. Well, well let me transition this because this will be our last question, Dr. Wyndham. Based on what she just said, like she had, Dr. P had you, right? Everybody doesn't have a Dr. Wyndham in their pocket, okay? I, I, I need to get new friends because I ain't got no MD. But like, can you just tell us and in, in, um, briefly, what are some resources that can help our listeners? Like if I don't have a Dr. Wyndham, what can I do? Who can I call on? What what can I look at? How how do I navigate this? Are there advocates or anything that can get us through this? 
I do definitely, it's important early to set up. Um, and a lot of this takes some humility um, and seeking out resources. So there are a lot of social workers and community health workers that exist and work within clinics, but you need to ask. And if you ask early in your pregnancy, you can develop a relationship with someone, a social worker, community health worker embedded within that clinic that can kind of help to navigate all of the medical aspects of things, mm. as well as helping to navigate transportation or food insecurity or how to get your insurance set up, how to get all of these things done. Um, it's important to ask those resources exist. So it's important to ask and make sure that you're connected with them early. Mm. I also think that there's such an important and a strong need. And if there are women out there that are in college or are trying to figure out what to do with them, their lives and they are empaths and they are um, curious about medicine, but don't think that an MD is their thing or even nurse midwifery, going into being a midwife, mm -hmm. being a doula, mm -hmm. um, to be healthcare adjacent so that you know these stories that you've seen hundreds of women give birth, you've seen things play out so that they can be your, and bringing in a doula or bringing in a midwife into a, preg into a pregnancy, which is honestly the, one of the biggest interventions that um, healthcare providers are now like researching and trying to do is to bring in more black and brown doulas and midwives into OB practices. Mm. To help to, I mean, they bring their life experience, they bring their cultural experience, and then they have the medical knowledge, mm. but can still speak to you and communicate you and nurture you on a peer-to-peer -peer level and less of the medical ease. Mm. I love that. So reaching out and, and, and seeking out a practice that is has doulas or midwives, um, looking into programs in the community. And like, these are also, and I don't know, I'm very frustrated by like SpaceX and like billionaires spending $55 million to go to the space center. Yeah, come but on. I'm now. like, man, listen, I got student loans they can take care grants. of. <laughs> man, we're writing grants trying to pay for $50,000 for someone to be a doula. Like mm. I, we, we need to create this pipeline of both both medical providers that are congruent. So both people going to medical school, becoming nurses, nurse practitioners that look like the community that we provide care for, but also having doulas and midwives and, and just a whole healthcare community that looks like the community that they're serving. So seeking out a doula or a midwife. And once again, lots of these things are cost prohibitive but they are integrated into a lot of clinics. So maybe as part of like the first, even when you're thinking about, and I'm thinking I'm, I'm ready to have a baby, I wanna make this happen, looking around in your community and finding an OB practices that have those resources embedded within their practice. Well, thank you so much. And I also want to shout out our listeners in New York City and in L.A. They have a black doulas program that they have set up. So those for those in those areas, definitely look into that. Dr. P, mm -hmm. this has been a wonderful Listen. interview. I mean, powerful. Can you shift us into our last segment? Listen, Mac. For, so one, I want to say thank you. I, yes, I feel like thank this you was so a much. full like circle moment for us to have done this together. Like on the other yes. side. Um, Absolutely. So, Mac, you know we gotta we gotta take it out ratchet. So uh, we have a segment in our podcast that we say, "What you doing with your life?" Yes. Right? What are you doing with your life? So, Mac, tell us what you watching. Like the most ratchet thing, what you watching, what you read, and what you listening to. You don't have to share all those three, but maybe something you're watching uh, that you would want folks to know about. 
Oh man. So I am, I am quite lame. I listened to a few of y'all's podcasts. I was trying to figure out like, what am I going to say? Because I am a nerd. I'm like listening to news podcasts. I'm trying to figure out what's going on in Ukraine. I'm trying to figure out oil and gas prices. And how Let me nerd. know. I am, I am a nerd. I'm a nerd. I'm a nerd. But I, you know, I did start watching the ultimatum. Yes. Talking about it. And man, to be in your mid twenties and talking about financial stability, but man, I got married at 28, 29 yep. and best decision. Like, man, set your life up before you trying to <laughs> I got that's right. married and, and building relationships with people and find your person. Find someone that makes But that make sure there ain't nobody else's person. Make sure there ain't nobody else's person. That's the exactly. well, you know make what sure if it is else's person. If you want to do the whole having a community of people, not with yeah, my man, listen, but you can ahead. do that if you want that. <laughs> if that's your business, you can do that too. Listen back. I do have one last thing because you said something that really like that really struck me about creating a pipeline mm-hmm. of medical providers, especially black people, because we need more. So I want you to take a moment and think of somebody, a black medical person that is killing the game that you want to shout out and just give them some love real quick. So Really, really fast, but I, Dr. Brenda Armstrong has has passed, but she was my mentor in pediatric cardiology. Oh, she was, you know, in the second generation of Black women becoming pediatric cardiologists. Um, she was a four foot 11 force <laughs> to be reckoned with. Oh. She would, you know, make sure that Black people were taken care of because mm. she grew up watching her family not receiving the care that they deserve. So... Mm. She is my my mentor, like my my the reason why I wake up and, and can do this job in pediatric cardiology every day. Mm. But other people do a kill in the game. I mean, I have to um, shout out my girls from medical school yes. um, uh, who are growing in so many different ways, doing um, cannabinoid medicine, wow. yeah. medical marijuana and furthering our, and improving our health care through different through non traditional avenues. Um, my friends that are ED doctors and also navigating their MBA and Mm -hmm. business management spaces, trying to figure out how to make equitable care. Um, And then, of course, I have to say, Sudi Tri. Sudi Tri is a OB in New York. And after I had my baby, I had high preeclampsia, had high blood pressure. They gave me a bunch of blood pressure meds and tanked my blood pressure. And I became tachycardic or at a high heart rate. Mm. And they were like, do you have a pulmonary embolism? We're going to send you for CT. And I called her and said, Sudi, like, I'm pretty sure that my, you know, I'm a cardiologist. I'm pretty sure that they just tanked my blood pressure. And now my heart is trying its best to increase my cardiac output. Like, (laughs) I didn't even know that. Like, I think I just need some fluids. And she said, girl, don't let them take you for that CT. If you get contrast, you can't breastfeed for the next 24 hours. Mm. And as a new mom and trying to establish breastfeeding and taking care of your baby, that would have devastated me. Mm. And so I just, uh, that doctors have our doctors. Mm. <laughs> like, uh, uh, calling friends from medical school, reaching out to that community um, in order to, in order to be safe. Um, and so Dr. Sudi Tri, uh, always proud of you. And um, she's just, she's doing the work. Mm. Listen, Mac, well, we have our church bulletin uh, that we got to share with the folks to let y'all know. Please follow us yes. on Instagram, Facebook, 
at in YouTube at Black Gays Podcast and on Twitter at Black Gays Pod. Engage with us on social media. We yes. got a bomb team. Shout out to Brittany and Mimi who yes, are Brittany killing and it. Mimi. Um, share our episodes with your folks and with your enemies, especially yes. this, um, this episode. Is it is one. so important and it's having those hard conversations that we need to have as black women and also opening up about our stories are so important. Um, and I think that's all we that's have. All we listen, Matt, we only asked you to do one thing and we're going to model it for you. Um, just tell us who you are when we go out. So it's your girl, Dr. Porcher. And it's your girl, Dr. Bertrand. And it's your girl, Dr. Wyndham. Hey. Hey. Hey.